0: Every day, billions of children go to school and learn how to live their life. Their first experiences start as a playful and social experience in a playgroup or kindergarten. As the children grow older, the education becomes more structured. Classes are spoken to them, students are instructed to memorise content, and if they can't, they fail. This system was designed to produce factory workers, not the children of the future. And this episode, we diagnosed how we have got ourselves in this mess and what we can do about it in the future. We hear from the World Authority on Education, Dr Ken Robinson.
1: Every education system in the world is being reformed at the moment, and it's not enough. Reform is no use anymore, because that's simply improving a broken model. What we need is not evolution, but a revolution in education this has to be transformed into something else
0: and author speaker and future sandwich favorite steve Samatino joins us to discuss what we need to relearn for the next generation to thrive
2: and so school had this formula where rote learning has really been a large part of what you do because that enables you to be a factory worker or an office worker and really be a cog within the industrial machine. Alright, remember once upon a time how that guy was a baker and this person was a blacksmith and you know how their name's Carpenter and Smith and Baker, yeah that's why, because they used to know how to make revenue and they learned, you know, with the apprenticeship model on how to do things and not only could they make stuff but they knew how to balance their books, they knew what the profit and loss was on the bread that they baked, they knew how to run their shop, what times to open and they had an independence which has been stolen from us. They had a business and explorative mindset which has been stolen from us by the school System. Very few of them actually teach the new skill sets that we need, which are more about creativity, entrepreneurship, and the ability to solve interesting problems.
0: My name is Tommy McCubbin, advertising creative director, dad, and podcaster, and this is Future Sandwich, the podcast that has a sandwich with people making the future happen today. This is episode 9 relearning education. All in all.
1: I meet all kinds of people who don't enjoy what they do. They simply go through their lives getting on with it. Uh, they get no great pleasure from what they do. They endure it rather than enjoy it and wait for the weekend. But I also meet people who love what they do and couldn't imagine doing anything else. If you said to them, don't do this anymore, they'd wonder what you're talking about. Because it isn't what they do, it's who they are. They say, but this is me you know, it would be foolish for me to abandon this because it speaks to my most authentic self. And it's not true of enough people. In fact, on the contrary, I think it's still true of a minority of people. And I think there are many possible explanations for it. And high among them is education. But you see, there are things we're enthralled to in education. Let me give you a couple of examples. One of them is the idea of linearity that it starts here, and you go through a track, and if you do everything right, you will end up set for the rest of your life. Um, Everybody who's spoken at TED has told us implicitly, or sometimes explicitly, a different story, that life is not linear, it's organic. We create our lives symbiotically as we explore our talents in relation to the circumstances they help to create for us. But, you know, we have become obsessed with this linear narrative. And probably the pinnacle for education is getting you to college. I think we are obsessed with getting people to college. Certain sorts of college. I don't mean you shouldn't go to college, but not everybody needs to go, and not everybody needs to go now. Maybe they go later, not right away. I was up in San Francisco a while ago doing a book signing. Um, There was this guy buying a book. He was in his 30s, and I said, what do you do? And he said, I'm a fireman. And I said, "Uh, how long have you been a fireman? He said, always. I've always been a fireman. And I said, well, when did you decide? He said, as a kid. He said, actually, it was a problem for me at school because at school, everybody wanted to be a fireman. (laughs) He said that I wanted to be a fireman, you know. And and he said, when I got to the senior school, uh, my teachers didn't take it seriously. This one teacher didn't take it seriously. He said, I was throwing my life away if that's all I chose to do with it that I should go to college, I should become a professional person, I had great potential, and I was wasting my talent to do that. And he said it was humiliating because he said in front of the whole of the class and I really felt dreadful. But it's what I wanted. Now, as soon as I left school, I applied to the fire service and I was accepted. And he said, you know, I was thinking about that guy recently, just a few minutes ago when you were speaking about this teacher. He said, because six months ago, I saved his life. <laughs> he said he was in a car wreck and I pulled him out, gave him CPR, and I saved his wife's life as well. He said, I think he thinks better of me now.
0: (laughs) Dr Ken Robinson has one of the most popular TED Talks of all time. In 2006, he reframed our thinking about education and how it is in dire need of an overhaul. This was so compelling because it came from a scholar. Someone who has dedicated his life to the traditional education system, yet advocated directly against it. Here are some snippets from his famous TED Talks.
1: The other big issue is conformity. We have built our education systems on the model of fast food. This is something Jamie Oliver talked about the other day. You know, there are two models of quality assurance in catering. One is fast food, where everything is standardised. The other are things like Zagat and Michelin restaurants, where everything is not standardized, they're customized to local circumstances. And we have sold ourselves into a fast food model of education. And it's impoverishing our spirits and our energies as much as fast food is depleting our physical bodies. (laughs) Every education system in the world is being reformed at the moment. And it's not enough. Reform is no use anymore. Because that's simply improving a broken model. What we need, and the word's been used many times during the course of the past few days, is not evolution, but a revolution in education. This has to be transformed into something else.
0: So if our linear and conforming education system needs to be revolutionised, what is it going to look like? And who is going to drive this movement? There is no one better to ask than author Steve Sammartino. He's currently writing a book on this exact topic. And stick around because at the end of this episode, I'll tell you how you can win one of five signed copies of Sam's first book, The Great Fragmentation.
2: What is the new book? So the new book's called Lessons School Forgot. And the reason that I called it that is twofold. The first thing is that the history of school very few people know. So the history of school, free public school, is that it was funded by wealthy industrialists of the day, think Andrew Carnegie and Cohort, you know, Standard Oil, because they needed to train illiterate farmers' sons and daughters, the three R's, writing, reading and arithmetic, to to create compliant industrial factory workers, right? Because we all lived on farms and we were craftsmen and we lived in villages and to move to the city, we needed to be compliant, we needed to follow rules. That's why there's red pen in schools, because you've got to tell people when they get stuff wrong because if you get something wrong on the factory line, that stops the factory line, and Henry gets really upset because he doesn't want that. He wants, you know, the, the factory line's on a conveyor belt, and you've got to know your part. So we have red pen in school. And you're not allowed to cheat in school. That's why cheating's outlawed. No collaboration. I always told my mum, I'm not cheating, I'm collaborating. That's what I told her. Uh, you got to know your own bit. And so school had this formula where rote learning has really been a large part of what you do because that enables you to be a factory worker or an office worker and really be a cog within the industrial machine. So public school, you know, has really only had a hundred and fifty year history. Before that school was for the wealthy and fortunate few, the academics and even the shifts of school, right? It's the same as a factory, eight hour shifts. So you could drop off your kids and they could mind you what you worked in the the school could mind them and teach them. Sit up the front, do as they're told and then you pick them up. So school is a little factory, and the problem is is now we're exiting the factory era or the industrial era, and so it's, it's not even outdated, or needs a renovation, it's actually obsolete. Right? And the things that we learned at school were left-brain logic, largely, largely left-brain logic. Primary school's good, I mean we have the foundations that you need of communication, numbers and and writing, but as you, the further on you go into high school the less valuable it is. I'm like an absolute strong believer and I'm a personal example. Everything that I know that matters right now, other than learning to read and maths, I taught myself. I actually think that they're not enough of what we need. They definitely democratise education and I know for sure that I would pick, if I had two people who went to Harvard, if I had privileged Johnny and hardworking Mary and Privileged Johnny went to Harvard and paid his 200,000 and got into there, the Ivy League, and did all the course and had the formal degree, and then hardworking Mary did the MOOCs versions. Right, I would pick Mary for the job, even though she's unqualified formally, because I know she's got all of those things that matter more, like you know tenacity, ability to hard work, self-starting, entrepreneurialism, all of those things. But a lot of the MOOCs courses, they're actually just what we've already got, but democratised and available to anyone. Very few of them actually teach the new skill sets that we need, which are more about creativity, entrepreneurship and the ability to solve interesting problems.
0: So there's a... In the States, this guys uh, created the Tinkering School. Right. That's he, the top he's thing. He's I haven't got, heard of that. What's that about? Now, who better to explain Tinkering School than its founder, Giva Tully? Tinkering School
3: is a place where kids can pick up sticks and hammers and other dangerous objects and be trusted trusted not to hurt themselves, and trusted not to hurt others. Tinkering school doesn't follow a set curriculum, and there are no tests. We're not trying to teach anybody any specific thing. When the kids arrive, they're confronted with lots of stuff, wood and nails and rope and wheels, and lots of tools, real tools. It's a six-day, immersive experience for the kids. And within that context, we can offer the kids time, something that seems in short supply in their overscheduled lives. Our goal is to ensure that they leave with a better sense of how to make things than when they arrived, and the deep internal realization that you can figure things out by fooling around. Nothing ever turns out as planned, ever. And the kids soon learn that all projects go awry (laughs) and become at ease with the idea that every step in a project is a step closer to sweet success or gleeful calamity. We start from doodles and sketches, And sometimes we make real plans, and sometimes we just start building. Building is at the heart of the experience, hands-on, deeply immersed, and fully committed to the problem at hand. Robin and I, acting as collaborators, keep the landscape of the projects tilted towards completion. Success is in the doing, and failures are celebrated and analyzed. Problems become puzzles and obstacles disappear. When faced with particularly difficult setbacks or complexities, a really interesting behavior emerges. Decoration. (laughs) Decoration of the unfinished project is a kind of conceptual incubation. From these interludes come deep insights and amazing new approaches to solving the problems that had them frustrated just moments before. All materials are available for use. Even those mundane, hateful plastic grocery bags can become a bridge stronger than anyone imagined. And the things that they build amaze even themselves. Three, two, one, go! A roller coaster built by (laughs) (laughs) seven-year-olds. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure.
2: That's what we need. We need less formula yeah. and more experimentation. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I do, people always ask me, oh, what do you teach your kids, all right? And I say, I'd never show them how to play with their toys, all right? And the only things I'm really interested in teaching them is creativity, right, and systems thinking. Because I don't want to teach them functional thinking on how to do a thing. I actually want them to understand how a system is and how a system can change because then they'll be adaptable, because they don't see themselves as part of a system, they see themselves as inventors and, and curators of systems. So the favourite example that I give on one thing that I do with my kids is I like to teach them how to uh, do food from you know, paddock to plate. So I asked my daughter, I said, when she was four at the time, I said, do you want to grow some food? She said, yeah, yeah, sure. I said, any food, you tell me what you want to grow. She said, I want to grow pizza. I said okay you made it hard and then we did everything from planting the wheat in a box in our backyard Right? we did. The only thing we didn't do was the cheese, but I told her where the cheese came from. We made the pizza dough, you know, I explained the oven where the electricity comes from, I said normally you could make a fire in the backyard and put it in an oven. She planted, she watered it, she did the tomatoes, we uh, you know, made all the ingredients of the pizza and then they made it and cooked it and ate it and it was just one of the great moments. But every time we go to the supermarket now she goes, oh wow, so many people have worked hard to get this food here. But she understands the system. And even now she's starting to ask things about electricity and computers and how they work. And I explain it through the system because then she's going to have breadth of thinking. You know, the problem with school is that we don't have breadth. We learn a function. My favourite example is what you learn in school is is with finance and accounting. What do you learn? You learn debit and credit, left-hand side, right-hand side, ballot sheets and profit and loss. Who has a balance sheet and a profit and loss in their house? No one, right? You're not learning anything for yourself. You're learning it for the company that you're going to work for. You know, when you when you do chemistry and science, what are you learning? You're learning something in a lab because you're going to work at, you know, factory X, Y, Z. So that, that tinkering school, that to me sounds like the exact type of thing. Seth Godin's doing some interesting stuff with his um, alt MBA. And his whole thing is how do we solve interesting problems? How do we teach people to project manage? And through the project, how do we teach them the finance and entrepreneurial skills to go from here's this problem, here's these inputs and here's the solution? Because if you do that, then you create jobs, you create employment. And the other thing is, but who cares about the employment side of it? It's just about, do we solve the problems and is there revenue? See, I hate the word jobs and growth. See, a job says, wait for someone, I'll be over here. When, when the job's ready, Tommy, you let me know. I'll be over here sitting back. Government, politicians, create the jobs, let us know. Or I'll be over here, when you you go create the jobs and I'm ready for you. Just tell me what I need to do. It's like you're subservient. Someone else is going to deliver something to you. What we need is revenue. I hate the word jobs. Because Job says there's an existential system that we're relying upon, all right? Job says someone else is going to serve you, you're going to work for a wage. Don't worry, we'll look after all the complexity, you just do as you're told, and that's so inside out. Like, for me, it's revenue. It's like, how are we going to invent new revenue for people? Revenue for people. If, we, if, if one politician said, what we want to try and do is show people how to make revenue, at least, I'll tell you one thing to do: we change the dialogue and the rhetoric out there. People say, "What do you mean by revenue?" There'd be news stories about it. This is crazy, this revenue talk. Then you get a discussion going. Okay, all right. Remember once upon a time, how that guy was a baker and this person was a blacksmith, and you know how their names carpenter and Smith and baker? Yeah, that's why because they used to know how to make revenue and they learned, you know, with the apprenticeship model on how to do things. And not only could they make stuff, but they knew how to balance their books. They knew what the profit and loss was on the bread that they baked. They knew how to run their shop, what times to open, and they hadn't independence which has been stolen from us. They had a business and explorative mindset which has been stolen from us by the schooling system.
0: So it's a change in mindset, change Absolutely. in language. Yeah, language and mindset. Because yeah. I think the
2: first thing to change anything is language. Once the language changes, we change our consideration set. Because language is the human killer app. That's our operating system, is language. We have to change that first because people don't consider something different unless new words are used. So if we use new words to reframe old ideas, then we start to see what the potential trajectories are and how that can still solve the old problems in better and more future-proof ways.
0: So it's not about setting up new schools or no, setting up new dot so. coms well, with content on there? Yeah, it's not really. No, because yeah. yeah.
2: well, we've got access to everything. If we change the language, then the content of the book of life changes because the book of life is the language that goes inside it, right? So if we change that language, then the content that's inside there is automatically changed. You know, and schools are changing a little bit. They really are trying, especially at primary school. You know, They don't even have the desk sitting, sitting up the front. They have the little working cohorts. That's a really big shift because it tells you you're going to work on projects with people at time, not doing tasks where you're sitting up the front and you've got to rote learn your bit independently. So they're changing, but it's hard. If we change the language, and it's got to change at a top level, well, we're already trying to do an entrepreneurial. all of us in our cohort do that. top type of people listening to this podcast would do that. But we need some top-level... Change. how yeah, they use the word agile because you know Malcolm Turnbull read that somewhere in the, in the Financial Review. But we, we we need more than that. That's that's just a little bit of a. The language matters a lot.
0: And what do you think the impact of obviously the the third world community is getting more connected and therefore yeah. access to or they're going to get more literate over time. Yep. What's the impact of that balancing out and the the, the, the billion that can't read or write slowly becoming.
2: I actually think that we're going to see a curve jump and the powerful economies, excluding China, I think will all be uh, nations which are seen as undeveloped nations at the moment. And the reason I think that is that they don't have legacy infrastructure because legacy infrastructure is the enemy. Right? It's the enemy for big companies. That's how they get disrupted because big companies love their infrastructure more than they love their customers. And the reason they love their infrastructure more than their customers is once you have a big and powerful infrastructure... Ninety percent of the people in a company actually manage that infrastructure. And so they will spend their life protecting the thing that they manage, right? It's the old turkeys never vote for Christmas, right? So they they, they, they manage the infrastructure that that is that feeds them, right? And so that's why big companies get disrupted, but governments are going to get disrupted as well, because they manage infrastructure the problem is is we're building a new infrastructure and these new economies as people get literate they've got NASA in their pockets supercomputers and they can find out and do anything and most of them are already entrepreneurs anyway because they don't have employment like we have here right and they can probably do better by creating their own forms of employment and uh, you know freelance work or entrepreneurial work that they do themselves because they won't have the infrastructure they'll just start afresh right and you'll get this curve jump where developed economies are trying to wrangle their old infrastructure and modernise it, new economies just go straight to new. I mean, you see it with energy and solar systems, you'll see it with education, and you'll see it with people being able to you know, trade using their phones and go to, directly to Bitcoin because, you know, I think it's something like 3 billion people don't have a bank account and 5 billion people rely solely on cash today. All right? so with, once the smartphones get out there in the next, you know, by 2020, 70% of the world will have a smartphone. Because it's not even worth making a non-smartphone now, because the economies of scale. So you'll curve jump, and I think developing economies will show us what the new economy looks like. And that happened in the industrial revolution. People forget the second most powerful company, uh, country at the start of the industrial revolution uh, was Holland, right? Anglo-Dutch. It was the English and and the Dutch. And where are they now, right? So I don't even think necessarily it would be brick nations. It would be Africa and some of these weird places like Estonia. You Estonia, you can become a digital citizen. Did you know that? You can register to become what's known as a digital citizen in Estonia where you are a legal citizen of that country but you don't have to live inside its borders. You can set up businesses, bank accounts and trade your e-commerce business as if you lived in Estonia. Well, that's interesting, right? Because nation-states in the digital world become outdated. They're an outdated concept. Conceptually, they're outdated. That was a very... It's strange and weird and long answer. What I'm trying to say is that because this legacy infrastructure isn't there, I think the developing nations are going to surprise everyone. Because the fork, like you say, you can't predict the future. hmm. But the one thing I can predict is the patterns that I've already seen on how companies get disrupted, and I think governments are going to be disrupted Hmm. as well.
0: So this legacy education system is holding us back, and the people of the world that aren't bound by it will thrive in our unpredictable future. I'll leave you with the words of my favourite philosopher, Alan Watts. What do you desire?
4: What makes you itch? What sort of a situation would you like? Let's suppose I do this often in vocational guidance of students. They come to me and say, well, uh, we're getting out of college and we haven't the faintest idea what we want to do. So I always ask the question, what would you like to do if money were no object? How would you really enjoy spending your life? Well, it's so amazing as a result of our kind of educational system, crowds of students say, well, we'd like to be painters, we'd like to be poets, we'd like to be writers, but as everybody knows, you can't earn any money that way. Or another person says, well, I'd like to live an out-of-doors life and ride horses. I say, do you want to teach in a riding school? Uh, Let's go through with it. What do you want to do? better to have a short life that is full of what you like doing than a long life spent in a miserable way. And after all, if you do really like what you're doing, it doesn't matter what it is, you can eventually turn it, uh, you could eventually become a master of it. It's the only way to become a master of something, to be really with it. And then you'll be able to get a good fee for whatever it is. So don't don't worry too much that's the uh, everybody's somebody's interested in everything and anything you can be interested in you'll find others more but it's absolutely stupid to spend your time doing things you don't like in order to go on spending things you don't like and doing things you don't like and to teach your children to follow in the same track see what we're doing is we're bringing up children and educating to live the same sort of lives we're living in order that they may justify themselves and find satisfaction in life by bringing up their children, to bring up their children to do the same thing so it's all wretch and no vomit, it never gets there. And so, therefore it's so important to consider this question, what do I desire?
0: This has been Future Sandwich, Episode 9, relearning Education. I'd like to thank Pink Floyd for not suing me yet for the use of another brick in the wall. There's a link where you can buy, stream, and watch the track in the show notes at futuresandwich.com. There's also links to all the other legends that made Episode 9 what it is. Dr. Ken Robinson's TED Talks are there. Uh, Links to follow Steve Sammartino and buy his books. And if you can't wait, find him on Twitter, at Sammartino. Alan Watts and all his words of wisdom are embedded there as well. And as always, thanks to Maddie Thompson for editing this like a boss and Nick Gillies for researching all that stuff about the flip classroom models which inspired this episode. So, shout out to some fans. Thanks for the kind words on Twitter, at bag full of Ideas, Eric Hebert or at Eric the Mailman, stay excited about the future dude and big ups to Andrew at a77foster. Appreciate your support, dudes. So, another cool announcement. Future Sandwich Live is coming to Melbourne in December. So on Friday, the 2nd of December, we've got a live show at Future Assembly. Jump onto futureassembly.io and get your tickets. Uh, we're going to have Nick Hodges, uh, Director of Innovation at News Corp, Steve Sammartino, who featured in this article, and Georgia Beattie, the CEO of Startup Victoria, all joining me on stage for a live show. So get your tickets. That's at futureassembly.io. So would you like to win one of five signed copies of Sam's Great Fragmentation? Here's how. Jump into iTunes and rate and comment on Future Sandwich. Then just grab a screen grab and share that with the hashtag Future Sandwich on either Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. And then the top five will get a book. Thanks for your support. And until next time, where we discuss the future of home, enjoy the future.